Hi, everybody. Steve Goldstein here. Welcome to the latest edition of the Goldie on Ice podcast, brought to you by Sides Foundation, ONA Management Group, Morris Southeast Group, uh, real estate here in South Florida, and one-on-one concierge. We appreciate all of them. Our producer is Brett Markowitz, and we're going to get right into it today. We've got uh, Sean Thornton with us, VP of Business Operations for the Panthers. Uh, love the title after playing all those years in the NHL. And Thornton, thanks for taking some time with us. I know the fans want to hear from you. Uh, first off, let's start with your job. Exactly what does your job entail day-to-day for the Florida Panthers? Uh, a little bit of everything. Kind of... Uh... I oversee now PR, marketing, uh, game press, foundation, community relations, uh, kind of a a go-between with the Fox relationship as well. So uh, days are filled with uh, dealing with a lot of little things from every single department, basically. Still help out with corporate partnerships every now and again, and uh, an ear in uh, a voice in Matt's ear whenever... uh, Whenever he needs to hear something that's going on that, uh, you know, I try and filter a lot of things so he doesn't have to take care of everything. Uh, and then when I need him, I, I go to him and get uh, what direction we want to go with this as an organization. So with everything you just told us about the various responsibilities, why did you choose to do this as opposed to many former players that either go into coaching, hockey operations, or uh, or broadcasting, which I will add, you'd, you'd be good. Uh, thank you. I almost went into broadcasting. Uh, Couldn't afford the pay cut? Yeah. No. <laughs> uh I had a job set up in Boston to work with Nesson um, and do some community relations with the Bruins. Uh, this opportunity presented itself from uh, ownership and Matt in my second to last year. Uh, I lost some sleep. It was a good decision uh, as far as, you know, a good problem to have. You know, I had two solid choices. A lot of players come out and don't know what they're going to do. Um, why I chose this, the business side of things has always really interested me. Uh, I had this conversation with somebody the other day. They're like, would you know who the – CMO of the Florida Panthers one was if you were a player I was like yeah I actually knew who it was when I was in Boston mm-hmm. like myself and Tuca used to spend a lot of time up in the offices they're in the same just like here they're in the same building that we played and practiced in and we'd just shoot up to the office and hang out with people and uh anytime you know sponsors were on a road trip with the Bruins I was always going to dinner uh, I, I really got to know a lot about it uh, from Amy Latimer and Matt Chimer and a bunch of people uh, on that side and then when I moved to Florida became a Panther. You know, I, I became pretty close with uh, with Caldwell and uh, you know Addy and uh, Copper when he was here. Like uh, I used to always just pick the brain and uh, try and know what was going on on the business side here. So uh, glad to be a part of it now. Uh, I love it. Uh, every day is interesting to me. I I learn something new and uh, I I really really enjoy it. You know, interesting. You mentioned the time in Boston being. You know, a, a guy that started to acquire the knowledge. So, what have you found? How are things different in this market in Florida than they are in Boston? And and how far far along now are the Panthers as opposed to maybe a year ago, maybe five years ago? I I truly think we're at an inflection point right now with everything. I think that uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, learning along the way for for this. For this organization, I think the lot since the Violas and Sifus took over the team, I think they've uh, even publicly said that there was some learning for them at the start too. And uh, I think we're at a point now where the team on the ice is in a really good spot. We have a lot of uh, everyone says that we have a lot of young talent tied up, but I don't think there's anybody that would uh, take us out of the conversation of winning in the next three to five years. I mean, uh, you'd have a hard time arguing that fact. So on the ice, we're in a really good spot and. 
I mean, I've only been on the business side for 14 or 15 months now, and uh, but it, I know we're a lot further ahead than we even were a year ago. We had a lot of people uh, turning over a year ago, and now we've had people here for pretty much since I started, and everyone, everybody seems to be firing on all cylinders. And I do know that as an organization uh, from the top down, everyone cares that we have people here till eight, nine, ten o'clock at night uh, working if they need to get things done. Uh, they really, they really care. I think players would be surprised on how much work goes in behind the scenes. Uh, the people that do a lot of the a lot of the legwork. Is that something maybe that you want to see? You've got relationships with players. You played with a lot of these guys, and they all know who you are. You're young enough that you would kind of subtly. I know you're not the type that would want to tell. Hey, you need to do this, but maybe subtly tell some of the guys. Hey, you know, when I was in Boston, Tukaraska, I you know took a little bit of an interest. That may be something you're interested in. I think some guys uh, have seen my transition. Um, some of it don't. Some of them don't believe it. <laughs> like there's no way that idiot's up there looking at uh, marketing plans. Can, can we get a couple of names on who uh, doesn't think that Sean Thornton belongs up there? Oh, there's a few. We'll just leave it at that. Jersey numbers, maybe. Uh, there's also some guys that have, I know they've talked to other people in the organization, asked about it, and I think seeing an actual player that they played with make the transition gets their uh, the wheels uh, spinning a little bit upstairs. So. Uh, I'm glad that maybe it'll have that little bit of an effect. Um, on the other side of it, uh, you know, when Cam Neely uh, took over in Boston, one of the things that he did was he made all the players at Christmas time and the end of the year like do a walk through the office, so he got to see where what everyone did and what. And I think it was eye opening for a lot of players. Like it was funny, me and Tuke would walk around and like be giving the bro hugs to everybody because we're up there so, so so much. But there's you know young kids that had never been up there and didn't know where the corporate partnership activation team sat or what they actually did. And being able to, you know, just ask those questions was really informative for a lot of the team because, yeah, I doubt that, like you said, that nobody knows what people are doing up here half the time. You mentioned Vinny and Doug, uh, Vinny Viola, his family, Doug Sifu, his family, Panthers ownership. Um, what is it about them that this franchise can have the success here moving forward now? Well, they're, they're rocks, for one. I mean, they, they really have cemented themselves in this organization. I mean, they own it, but like in this community, they're heavily involved. They want us to be involved. Uh, everyone that has been hired here wants to be involved and really cares. And I said it earlier, but that that's the biggest thing for me is when I was making the decision, I could tell that ownership really, really cared, not just about the organization, but everybody that's in it. And you can feel it uh, when, you're, when you're here. And uh, that's what made my decision a little bit easier. We've discussed this on the podcast a few times um, this summer with uh, Jared McCann was a guest, kind of took us inside the dressing room after the Stoneman Douglas shooting. Um, you know, Matt Caldwell had team president. Uh, real heartfelt thoughts about not only, you know, Hurricane Irma and the response by this team over the last 12 months, but after the the, the school shooting, you were very active with those Stoneman um, kids, you know, the hockey team, what this franchise did for them. And I know there's a lot of stuff that, you don't want any publicity for that has never been reported that probably never will get reported. Can you take us through from your standpoint, um, you know, that, that whole week and then leading up to after the team played that first home game, your role with the community after the school shooting? Yeah, I was sort of appointed as the point person for, uh, anything Stoneham Douglas. Um, I think, that I'd been through, uh, unfortunately, the the Boston Marathon as a player. Uh, I'd been through Sandy Hook. Uh, 
I had a lot of friends in the industry in Vegas and Boston uh, that I could reach out to and uh, get advice from. Very, very open to uh, getting as much advice and information as possible. Um, I was very lucky that a good friend of mine who was on the board uh, for my for my foundation and uh, works for the Red Sox actually uh, was in Fort Myers at the time. She had consulted uh, same thing with Vegas uh, during their horrific. Uh, shootings um she actually drove over and gave the organization uh a day or two of her time and really helped us uh walk through visually what the first game could look like uh obviously there's a million other phone calls uh between you know uh myself uh, the people that i was working with here in the organization and her and other people that have been through this uh in different ways so um i tried to get gather uh, a lot of the smart well everyone's smart here but a lot of people that i rely on daily uh you know i had I had addy adeline uh, uh, thomas drance i had lauren i had john uh, lauren simone from foundation john colombo john adams dennis dossel we had corporate partnerships we all sat in a room uh for days at a time figuring it out how we could respond and uh how it should be presented and uh i think that we we did a fairly decent job uh i mean there's a huge difference in between the marathon or the the hurricane and msd i mean a lot of tragedy in both but emma uh the hurricane you, you can throw a lot of money at you can you can build people's houses you can uh bring water and everybody needs all that stuff with Stoneham Douglas, you, you, you don't know what people need. Like every single uh, victim survivor that's gone through this tragedy is, they're going to grieve differently. They're going to need different things. They're going to. It's a one. You can't just throw money at it. So, um, some, a few people wanted to show up the next game to take their minds off of it. A, a few people we haven't heard from that we reached out to. Uh, I learned a lot about that from the from the marathons. I mean. A friend in Boston told me that there was this year is the first year that one of the marathon survivors actually showed up to a Red Sox game. To that, that's years ago. Just did not feel comfortable being around people until now. And so grieving's different for everyone. So what we basically what we did at uh, as an organization was we reached out and said, "Whatever you need, we're here for you. If you don't need anything, you don't want to be bothered. We will not bother you. But our doors are open. Our pocketbooks are open. Our hearts are open whatever you need we'll be happy to oblige and there are people that reached out and we tried to take care of them and again there's people that weren't comfortable and we were a-okay with that and i gotta say the guys were the guys and team were unbelievable too i mean everybody wanted to help there's all these phone calls going on uh just trying to figure out the best way they can help you know sometimes a kid would love to have nick bugstad show up at a hospital and say hi sometimes they just don't want to see people so you really got to find that uh find out what they want and then read it from there uh, he is sean thornton vp of business operations for the florida panthers we're going to come right back we're going to get into some hockey stuff sean's won a couple of stanley cups uh and made a living in a very difficult way so we're gonna get his thoughts on that as we continue here on the goldie and ice podcast and the five reasons sports network 
One-on-one concierge is your only stop needed for all of your home needs. Whether you're out of town, you need your home looked after, make sure there's things like no leaks, or any home maintenance at all, Oscar and one-on-one concierge handle it with professional care. House projects, moving, organizing closets, running errands, they do it all. Call Oscar today at one-on-one, 954-439-1551. That's 954-439-1551, or check out the website, oneononeconcierge.com. Time to tell you about Ken Morris and the Morris Southeast Group, an inaugural sponsor of the Goldie on Ice podcast. And, you know, Ken and the group, well, if you own commercial real estate looking to lease or purchase, call Ken at 954-240-4400. Ken Morris represents buyers, sellers, landlords, and tenants. And I'll tell you this, he's a class guy. He and his family, he's a straight shooter, extremely qualified and knowledgeable. And that's the type of person you want to and you need to deal with. Call 954-240-4400. Ken and the Morris Southeast Group will work with you with your best interests at heart. Hey, he's a South Florida guy. He's got a great reputation. He's been doing this for a very long time. 954-240-4400 for Ken Morris. And by the way, here on the Goldie on Ice podcast, he's a big hockey fan, Panthers season ticket, so we can all relate to him. Again, the number for Ken Morris, 954-240-4400. Okay, Sean, you make your NHL debut for the Chicago Blackhawks. Do you remember game number one? I do. I was very lucky. Uh, I mean, it took me six or seven years to get there, so I won't say that lucky, but um, I had made the team through training camp, so it was the the first game. It was in Columbus, and we had a really tough team. Uh, I was actually playing on the second line with Steve Steve Sullivan and Michael Nylander. Uh, So... If I had got called up for the first time in January or February, I probably would have been a nervous wreck, but I had played five or six or maybe eight of the... Back then, you could play as many exhibition games as you wanted, and you wanted to because I think you got like $300 for them or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I had rolled right into, from the last preseason game, told me I made the team into the regular season. It just felt like I belonged there. There wasn't that adjustment. Um, So yes, I remember. I also remember my second game. I got my first NHL point. I had like five of my buddies from back home fly in to watch the game. And then I also got dropped by Eric Bolton in the third period. So (laughs) my first KO the wrong way and my first point in the second game, which is the first home game in Chicago. For the most part. And you you had that big year. We're going to talk about that, you know, 10 goals, 20 points that season. Um, But for the most part, you know, you made your living, Um, you know, protecting teammates. Intimidation is all a part of the game in the NHL. Your mindset, uh, you know, let's say you're going into, you know, Philadelphia and you probably know you're going to fight that day. What is it like when you when you woke up in the morning and and going through a day like that as an NHL player? Uh, It evolved over time Uh, towards the end. It didn't bother me at all. I was just like, "Ah, it's just another day. Um, When I was younger, it was very stressful. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to put the blame on anything, but it was, you'd lose sleep. I mean, there, there, there used to be some monsters back in the day when you're a 20, 21, 22 year old kid and you have to fight somebody six foot seven, 250 pounds, you know, and you're doing it 30, I was doing it 30 to 36 times a year back then. Uh, it was stressful. So I, I guess I, I was lucky in a way as well that, I mean, I was doing it for peanuts in the minors, but there was no, uh, there was no Twitter. There was no hockeyfights.com. There, if you lost a fight, you just moved on to the next one, and nobody knew about it. And uh, you learn your craft uh, as a player and as a fighter without too many eyes on you. Uh, 
and I don't care who you are, you're getting 36 fights, your reputation grows a little bit and might even become uh, a little bigger than you are. So I was probably fortunate in that way. By the time I got to the NHL, um, I guess my first few years, there were some big guys that that was their sole job. Uh, you'd have to fight them, but I I didn't stress about it as much. There's a few, you know, the Derek Bugards, uh, John Scott, like there's some big boys that I was, I'd be nervous about and I, yeah, it, it stresses you out, but I guess it's it's part of the job. That's what we sign up for, right? You know, you talk about fighting in the NHL, and then you talk about about where the game has gone. Um, do you, do you feel like it still should be in the game, and it still serves a purpose in the game? Yeah, I do. Um, for a few reasons. I mean, I think intimidation is a part of life, and not just hockey. I mean, you walk into a room, you're any room, you're usually trying to figure out, you know what's going on in that room and intimidation might be a part of that you don't know so um in hockey you know we play on an ice surface that's 200 by 85 going 30 something miles an hour not me i was going a lot slower than that but uh, there's no out of bounds it's not there's nowhere to go it's a pressure cooker out there and, and tempers are going to flare i'd rather two guys sort it out like men than somebody taking cheap shots on somebody i know people say that's a archaic way of looking at it and i understand that there's that view as well but uh i don't know it's just my view on it i'd i'd way rather if i had a problem with somebody in the real world as well to stand in front of each other and sort it out like men than somebody hitting me from behind with a baseball bat when i'm not looking so uh i know that's an extreme example uh, or analogy but uh, i do think that it's necessary in the game now i'm also happy though that there's no more or not as many like the staged fights normally they have a reason behind it but there isn't the one-dimensional hockey player out there anymore and you have to be able to play you have to be a ryan reeves you have to be a a guy like that if you're going to do it and uh, i'm okay with that because i never liked having to line up beside somebody that couldn't play more than two minutes and i was playing eight to twelve and just because he was tough and i was tough it was my job to square off with him that part even when i was doing it didn't sit well with me but again it got me to where i am so i can't complain about it too much from an on-ice standpoint, so you retired. Bob Boomer comes in, felt comfortable bringing Michael Haley with him from San Jose, a guy that he knew not only from that standpoint, but I think knew his systems well um, and could be an example in the dressing room. What role do you think Haley played as far as, you know, two years ago, I think it would be conventional wisdom, the team lacked some of that. Um, all of a sudden last year, here's a new guy going in and seeming like, you know, a lot of times first shift of the game, he's willing to drop the gloves. What role do you think he played, will play, and is that contagious on a team? Yeah, I mean, I know for me, uh, Hales is from my hometown. I've known him since he was a kid. Uh, I know his, his brother actually threw up in my house one time. It's, uh, it's a story you can ask him about. Uh, and I'm going to, by the way. <laughs> the, uh, it's a role that when the other, the other 19 guys know that somebody has their back, it's like, again, it goes back to, if you know somebody has your back, you're more confident going into any situation. So uh, he definitely brings that. I think people hail, I think people don't know how good of a hockey player Hales is too when he puts his mind to it. Um, there's some days as a guy that's had to do that for a long time, uh, there's some days you can't go into a game focusing on hockey because your mind won't let you when you know that there's a Ryan Reeves or somebody along those lines on the other side. It, I don't care how much you focus on hockey, it's always there uh, near the front that you might have to get punched in the face by that guy. And if you've never been punch, punched in the face, you probably don't understand what I'm talking about. But if Hales, uh, 
was able to just go out and play hockey, he'd still be a relevant player in this league. I, I played against him in the minors a lot. I played against him in the NHL. He he plays center. He's really good on draws. He's got a, a really good vision. Uh, he made some passes last year that I, I know I wouldn't have been able to make. I wouldn't even have seen that guy. He's got really good vision on the ice. Uh, he can skate. Uh, he's got a decent shot. I think he he's a better player than people give him credit for, and that usually happens when you get the gloves off every once in a while. People don't think you have any other skill than being able to do that. You know, how do you sort that out with guys? You know, and later in your career, you didn't play. I don't think every game. Um, so you know, th- this team is brimming with young players. We'll see if Henrik Borgström makes it. If you know Tippett makes it, um, but if they do. You know, you've got players like Michael Haley. You've got a player like Derek McKenzie here. Um, how do you kind of sort out leadership, playing time? Can you lead if you don't play every game as you kind of filter some younger guys into the lineup? How, do, how What do you think the dynamic on a team is about those things? Yeah, I won't. I have no clue what's going to happen with the, those guys because I'm, I'm not on the hockey side at all. I don't even talk to Boogie or Dale about anything. I, I, I call them to see if I can do a player uh, a player can get an appearance or something. Um, for me though, I knew well my whole career I took every game I got to play in as a blessing so uh, I, I don't know if there's every year I got to play 82 uh, I, as there's always somebody that's pushing uh, which is a good thing. Um, Yes, you can still lead. I think leadership is a trait that you you can grow into, but I think a lot of people that are natural leaders have it, and uh, other people naturally gravitate gravitate towards those players. So um, I think leaders will always lead, whether they're in the lineup uh, on a consistent basis or not. I think uh, if the players have your respect, you can always tell them uh, how you feel, and they will respect your opinion. Um, so... No, Listen, is it easier when you're, you know, scoring 20 goals and punching people's lights out? And if you're like Jamie Benn, I'm sure it's a lot easier to come in and call everybody out because you do it all. Uh, is it a little tougher for a guy like me in my situation when I was playing 50 games in my last year or whatever it was, uh, and you're sitting out 30? Is it tough to come in the locker room and yell at somebody for not doing their job? Yes, but there's other ways to do it too. You can take them out for a beer and be like, I saw this from up top. I was watching this. Like, there's different ways instead of, you know, when you're in the locker room. And for me, it was a guy, if I got in a fight and the team didn't respond and somebody wasn't playing well, I could get in his face and be like, you think I want to do that? I didn't, but you need to do this. So there's different ways of doing it. And I'm sure uh, the leaders that know how to lead will figure that out. Do you think leadership comes from the entire group, whether guys have letters or not? And is the captain all that important? And and I ask now of you because you go back to the 15-16 season, the best season in Panthers franchise history, 103 points, win the division. Um, Willie Mitchell was the captain, couldn't play due to injury half the season. You were one of the guys in that dressing room, you know, getting a lot of guys going. Um, so does it really matter who wears the C, the A, and where the leadership comes from? I think the C. I think the C still, uh, depending on the organization, uh, sometimes you see it just being put on the best player. Uh, I'm not of that. Uh, you, you don't think it should just automatically go to the best guy? I don't. I think the captain should be the leader. But I, maybe I'm old school in that uh, regard again. Maybe I'm old school in a lot of regards. But <clears throat> I think the captain has to be the person that the the room respects and looks up to uh, for uh, how he is as a human being, not just a hockey player. I think he also has to be the person that has the uh, has the balls to go in and tell the coach when we when something's not going right whether whatever that might be or to go in and and be the guy that says things are going great and just stay stay out of it right now so uh 
the A's are a little different. Uh, I think I think everybody in the locker room should lead in their own way too. I don't think you need to be a vocal leader to be a leader. I don't think you need to be a quiet, hardworking leader to be a leader. I think you can. There's different ways to lead, and people lead in their own ways, and they shouldn't try and be something they're not because that always comes off uh, a little bit fake. So uh, I think the letters. Are they the end all be all? No, I think leaders will lead. I, I don't know if I had a, I'm, I didn't ever have a C on my letter or a, on my jersey in the NHL, but I'd, I'd be hard pressed, I think, for you to find somebody that didn't say I wasn't a leader in any of the locker rooms I was in. Right, we're going to get into the Anaheim and Boston days, and also uh, we're going to go into some of the, the best and worst. We'll put you on the spot a little bit with some questions when we come right back. He is Sean Thornton. It's the Goldie on Ice podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network, and we're coming right back. A message from me about Orion and his company, part of the ground floor here of the podcast. We appreciate that. Hey, he's a friend, and like any good hockey team, you need a good team. And Orion and Associates Management Group, they've got that good team. Great team, in fact, operating out of Hollywood, Florida. Prime subcontractors. So all you prime contractors out there, they provide any construction services needed. Call them today at 954 922 8660. Check them out on Instagram as well at ONA underscore management and the website onamanagementgroup.com. Now they also handle hauling, so if you have demolition waste, any non hazardous material, they'll take care of all those trucking needs. More than 25 years of experience, ONA Management has worked with some of South Florida's leading construction companies, and you can trust, I can tell you this, their work and professionalism. The number again, 954 922. 8660. That's 954-922-8660 for Orion and ONA Management. An important message now for an important cause, the Sides Foundation. It stands for Sydney's Incredible Defeat of Ewing Sarcoma. Sydney Lister at age 15 battled the disease and she beat it. She's doing great. Now, out of the struggle, Sides, the foundation was formed to help fund children's cancer research and help South Florida families with kids fighting the disease. I encourage you and invite you to help the fight along with Sid's dad, Dave Lister. Call him at 954-594-5763. That's 954-594-5763. You can also check out Sides' Facebook page as well. Now, the next Sides event is November 19th. It's a great time. The fifth annual Italian extravaganza at Aqualina Restaurant in Weston. It's a great time for a wonderful cause. Help in the fight against cancer with S-I-D-E-S, Sides Foundation. The number again, 954-594-5763. And thank you. All right, we're back with Sean Thornton. Uh, Anaheim, 06-07, you win a Stanley Cup. What sticks out now all these years later about that team and what was that moment like when you when you put that trophy over your head? The last three minutes on the bench for the last game, I uh, sit beside Brad May and... We were both saying, can you believe we're going to win a Stanley Cup in three minutes? They were the longest but fastest three minutes of my life looking back on both sides. Um, yeah, it was it was amazing. I, I got really lucky. I had played nine years in the minors, minors basically at that point, up and down a lot with Chicago. Uh, not a lot of games played, but I was up a lot. was sent down at the start of the year. Uh, Derek Bugard broke Todd Fedork's face, and uh, I got the call. But then they traded for George Peros. I got sent back down. And then uh, luckily in those six games or five games, I was up in the first uh, call-up. I was playing with Perry and Getzlaff, and we had uh, some pretty good success. Anyways, I got sent back down, called back up when something – I think somebody got moved. Uh, I played on the third line with Penner and Marchant. 
Uh, my first game, I had a Gordy Howe. My second game, I had two assists. I think I was like, you know, nine, seven points in nine games or something like that. I ended up with like eight points for the rest of the year, but uh, they had to decide whether they were going to put me on waivers, and they didn't. Uh, and I ended up staying for the rest of the year. Uh, tough year. I mean, I was by myself. Uh, my wife and I were only married for, God, I think a year and a half at that point. I'd spent half the year in Chicago the year before, Christmas by myself. This one, I was in a hotel. Uh, right across the street from the rink from October 28th until she moved down March 1st. So same thing, Christmas by myself. She was Christmas by herself in Portland, Maine uh, with the dogs. Uh, a little bit of sacrifice that year, uh, but we ended up you know, winning the Stanley Cup. So all worth it. The nine years in the minors, all the, the hundreds and hundreds of fights and the Christmases by yourself, all worth it for those 15 seconds and i think that's all i took or maybe even less because i was afraid i want to give the trophy to the next person i did not enjoy it as much as i should have um but you know it's accumulation of everything you ever put in uh to be in that moment and i never thought i'd be in the nhl let alone winning a stanley cup so it was it was a pretty crazy experience so that said it gets even crazier because immediately you go to boston did you ever think not only on the ice but off the ice the impact you made in that city people love you in that city i know you still do a lot of community work in that city um you know how did you wind up going to boston and did you ever think in your wildest dreams that okay you have all the years in the minors you win the cup in anaheim that's probably the pinnacle and then you have another whole chapter in that city of boston yeah i mean i was 30 years old too uh got to give my agent you know a lot of credit he he got me league minimum for two years right after winning a cup i might be like no i'm just giving him a hard time uh there a little better than that would have been nice <laughs> there was there were actually uh three or four teams after anaheim uh that were interested uh dale was trying to get me back to chicago and boston was the only one uh willing to give an extra year um after moving around spending those christmases by myself being up and down in the minors uh not knowing i wanted the sort of security you can always get moved but of a three-year deal um and boston was willing to give that uh, so that was how we made our choice um that's I, pretty honest of you by the way because very often you get a lot of people saying no it's not all about the contract but you know you you wanted the security as a guy that had kind of gone through you know a lot of tough times being all over the place yeah and and i knew chicago was going to be a good team really soon i had been in that organization i'd seen what dale was doing with it um Dale actually offered me more money uh, for two years, uh, for the first two years, uh, probably a couple hundred grand more, but I took a little less for longer years because I just wanted the security of finding out what the city was around, about. I had never been to Boston. Uh, when we played Lowell, I think I shot in one day for an afternoon, uh, one time in the minors. I didn't know one single person on the team. Probably the only per team that that was the case after playing nine years in the minors. You usually know somebody. Um, Cam Neely called me uh, and said, you know, I think you'd be a perfect fit for this city. Uh, we'd really like to have you. Uh, I know a lot of friends that have been in your role and have had a lot of success after hockey. And I was old enough to, and mature enough to really think about that. So uh, that's how we came to be there. Uh, I always had a, a weird fascination with it because every single person I had played with that went to college there or played one year there, whether, wherever they were from, they always moved back there or they always spent their summers there. And... So me and the wife had a house in my hometown and said, let's sell it. Let's just buy in Boston. Uh, if we're going to put up with the winters there, let's see what these summers are all about. And we fell in love with it. Interesting. So then on the ice, obviously the success, I mean, your line became a staple, one of the one of the most difficult lines to play against in the league. Um, did you feel it building up to that, to that cup year? Yeah. Uh, I mean, people 
Luch was on another podcast. Uh, we won't name it, but uh, he was talking about the other day. We had, I think, ten or eleven thousand people in our arena for the home opener. My first, both of our first games. Uh, so you see that I was talking about this here yesterday. Actually, you you see that like our organization here is further ahead of where Boston was probably at that point when I got to Boston. Um, so you know there was a lot of angry people with the lockout uh trading joe thornton all that stuff um but that year we grew into a team that kind of took on the identity of the city and what they wanted to see we had a very tough team and when we were losing we it we tried to beat the hell out of the team we were playing against and boston really takes that they're like you know what they're not that good but at least they're trying to kill the person for beating them uh so it grew from there and we kept the same core together. Peter Shirley did a great job of keeping uh, basically the same core together and we grew as a group and when we got to that uh, 2011, uh, we really thought we had the team probably the year before and then we saw how hard it was uh, in the two, three playoffs leading up to that cup run. The, you know, we lost in Philadelphia after being up 3 nothing and 3 nothing in the first period of the seventh game. We really realized that things aren't for granted at any point in the playoffs. So we took that into the next year and we we put the hammer down and we you know we had to win some heartbreakers in game sevens and ex-panther nathan horton really came through for us and uh we weren't denied and i will say anaheim was the most exciting day of my life at that point but when i won it with boston that one meant more if that makes sense like the first one was you know the coolest day the the other one meant more because i was really felt like i was part of getting the team to that point so naturally, and I know you're a confident guy, so I'll use the word when, when you win one in your role with the Panthers in the front office, yes. what will that be like? It'll be the, the third greatest hockey moment uh, of my life. I think as a player, it's uh, you can't you can't compare with that. But uh, I would love nothing more than to have a ring with the Panthers' uh, crest on it. I think this team definitely has a chance if in the, in the very near future, and I'm really looking forward to being along for the ride. Is there one guy on this team, and a lot of guys had breakout years last year, so, um, you know, Barkoff being, I'm assuming, the most talented player, is in, in your opinion, on the team, but is there one guy that you think on this Panther team that you'll look back on in three or four years from now and say this guy is really legit, flat-out superstar? It's Bark, Barky, obviously. Uh, everyone talk. I mean, when you talk to the 23 guys in that room, 22 of them talk about Barky and Barky doesn't talk about himself right like uh, um there's there's a lot of good players in that great players in that room uh I I love Troach I love his competitiveness he has that he has that bite to him he's probably been told no his whole life and he just wouldn't take no for an answer and he, he carries that into his uh how he he plays the game now uh I love watching Hubie uh how slippery is how greasy is with the with the puck how good he is at protecting the puck uh he's actually in my opinion he's not that flashy i don't think but you know you look at the scoreboard at the end of the night and he's got two or three points and you're like oh yeah he did didn't he? he's uh he's always there he he's a really he's really fun to watch uh you know on the back end we have a dan- dynamic uh core with you know yans has been there he's been an all-star twice uh ekblad already been an all-star and is about to crush some records i think as a <laughs> defenseman in this organization maddie uh, when when maddie is on i don't know if there's anybody that's more dominant uh he reminds me of duncan keith at that age um so i listen we got a lot of good players in this organization and dale's 
and the, and the scouting staff done an unbelievable job of assembling this young core and being able to keep them around. Right, looking forward to the season. Okay, let's get to some questions for you. Toughest guy you ever fought? Probably Bugard. Yeah, Derek Bugard, I'd say. Mean, trying to hurt you? Uh for me, it was always six seven, six eight was a lot of inches for me to give up because I'm only six one and a half. Uh, depending on the program, I'm six one or six two. If they wanted to give me the half inch or not, uh, anybody six six and below, like not taking anything away from. There's a lot of tough guys I fought. Uh, I could sit here for an hour and list them off, but anytime I had to fight somebody six seven or above, uh, it gave me the jitters a bit because I got really long arms for my height, but. It felt like six six could touch me, six seven, six eight could hurt me. <laughs> All right, I got that's a good one. I gotta remember that. Best teammate you ever played with with a combination of on and off the ice. Oh, that's tough. There's so many of them. Um, there's a few that I've kept in, in really close contact with after playing, and that probably speaks to how great of guys they were, in my opinion. So, you know, PJ Axelson, uh, I played with him in Boston, still talk to him all the time. Shane Knighty, who's now the uh the TV guy in, in Vegas, Tuka Rask, is, I talk about him all the time. He's one of my best friends. Uh, he's just as good of an individual as he is as a goalie, uh, maybe better. Um, not team of mine, but somebody I came to know in Boston and still see him around here all the time that uh, I have to give credit to is probably the greatest human being I've ever met is Bobby Orr. Uh, like I, I <laughs> call, calls him my man crush, and it's it's true. I, uh Anything I'm trying to make a decision in life and whether I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing, I kind of think, would Bobby do it or not? And, uh, yeah, he's just a, a great human being. So very, very fortunate to be a friend of his now. Most underrated teammate. Most underrated teammate. A guy that maybe you played with on whatever team, NHL, AHL, junior, and you kind of said, man, this guy is a lot yeah. better than anybody, you know, gives him credit for. Yeah, the name that sticks out, Lonnie Bahanas. Uh, you have to look him up. He, yeah. he, I played with him in St. John's. He was one of the best hockey players I, uh, I ever seen. Uh, he got called up to the least in the playoffs, and I think he had like five points in four games or something stupid like that. Another guy, uh, Nathan Dempsey, um, he played a little bit in the NHL with Chicago, a few hundred games, I think, Chicago, Boston, um, Toronto. He was our captain in the minors uh, in uh, St. John's, and back then, Toronto, there's no cap. We just spend – 70 80 90 million and get names because that's what sold in toronto uh he was an all-star every year i think i was with him in the minors he was the best defenseman in the minors but just caught in the wrong organization so uh finally got his break with chicago i think uh but yeah he he was not underrated when i was playing with him the minors knew how good he was but he should have been somebody that was in the nhl from his new nhl he would have been in the nhl at 20 years old wow. who was the one player today if sean thornton had to buy a ticket for a game who would be in that game who would I show up to watch? Connor McDavid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Barky though. He's right yeah. in that conversation with me, and you don't see it during games, but I, I watched. I watched him every day, and he, yeah. If he didn't focus so much on the defensive side, yeah. they joke that he was the only guy back checking in the All Star game, right? Like he's just, he's awesome. I love that kid. Sean, thanks a lot for being with us on this edition of the Goldie on Ice podcast here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Some great insight from Sean Thornton. We hope you enjoyed it, and. Hockey time is here. Our Fox Sports Florida Panthers television schedule has been released. We'll be doing 81 games plus a preseason game, which is on September 27th against the Lightning in Orlando. And away we go with the opener October 6th against the Lightning in Tampa. Plenty more here on the podcast coming up as training camp gets into full swing. We'll have some great content for you and uh, should be a great season for the Panthers and for us here on the podcast. And 
Hope you continue to uh, subscribe and download and tell your friends as hockey season gets started. For our great producer, Brett Markowitz, I'm Steve Goldstein. So long for now, everybody. This is the Five Reason Sports Network, Miami Sports On Demand. We now have 13 podcasts in the network posting roughly 15 times per week, all absolutely free. Find all of our shows on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. Plus, become a member of our patron feed and you'll get even more fresh content. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Balls Cast. It's legitimately dreadful watching the Dolphins, man. Like, is this, <laughs> is it worth it to be a Dolphin fan? Like, this is, this feels terrible. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter. Don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe.